God for the uh, truth the choir has given to us through the means of uh, a great uh, uh, hymn, a great song. Let's uh, stand together and take your Bible to the book of Acts and taking a little time off from uh, the book of John today for the emphasis that we have today on our mission's commitment. So book of Acts chapter 11, if you would, chapter 11. I want to read verse 11 to verse 26. The message title that I have uh, to preach a little bit later is the hope of the world. The hope of the world. Acts chapter 11, verse 11 to verse 26 gives us uh, the text for today's message. Acts 11, verse 11 to 26, if you'd follow along while I read the text. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea uh, unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we uh, entered into the man's house, and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell, it, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as they began to, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now they uh, which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. He was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and faith, and much people was added to the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And our Heavenly Father, we add to the book of Acts. Probably nothing in the um, world that prepares us for hearing from God's word, but the uh, hymns of praise and, and the uh, instruments of, uh, that are dedicated to praise to the Lord. And so uh, that's why we use these things here. And we also... Uh, dedicate them to our Lord. And we believe that these things go up into the ears of our Lord as a sweet-smelling uh, savor does into his nostrils. Uh, what he hears from God's people through the singing of God's people and through 
praising Him instrumentally is um, honoring to our Lord. And so uh, we've been able to be part of honoring our Lord today by entering into that uh, kind of music. And we thank God for that. I think that the music that, you know, the world uh, uh, fabricates and puts together uh, is probably not the best source to go to to try to uh, determine how to praise our Lord. Don't you agree? And I believe that um, music that's fashioned after, you know, the worldly uh, wise men is not something that probably the Lord is very impressed with. And so uh, thank God with uh, all the blessings that we have of uh, God's people giving themselves. And uh, these are men and women of God who serve God with their instruments and who serve God with their voices and who praise the Lord by song. These are men and women of God, no less than anyone else who stands in a pulpit is a, a man of God as he desires to serve the Lord. The scripture certainly doesn't limit the idea of a man of God or a woman of God to being someone that's, uh, you know, in as uh, a, a pastor or a missionary. Uh, all of us ha have been called to be godly men and godly women and to um, be men and women of God in the sense that we give our uh, gifts and abilities to serve the Lord in our lives. And so thank God for that. Um, in the days of the greatest persecution of our um, Forefathers, our, our Baptist heritage has, is a heritage full of blood. It's, someone even wrote a book called The Trail of Blood that traces the sacrifices of, uh, of Baptist people by the millions and millions down through the centuries. And one of the things that you'll read as you're reading after these Baptist martyrs is that there were occasions when a pastor was taken out of a congregation and taken out and... Uh, uh, murdered and uh, martyred before the, the congregation and then someone from the congregation who had some ability in the word would step up and he would be the pastor of that church for a while and until they dragged him out and uh, and martyred his uh, him took his life from him and then another from the congregation would step up the congregation would grow smaller and smaller but one after another uh, there would be those willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel and all of those were men of God. All of those that stood in that uh, place and uh, proclaimed the word of God were men of God. Not all of them perhaps uh, uh, were ordained in the fashion and trained after the fashion of some we read about in the scripture. Paul's uh, men that he worked with and trained, but uh, all of them who stood and, and uh, proclaimed the word and were willing to lay down their, their lives for the faith were certainly uh, among that uh, category of people that the Bible describes as men of God. And so thank the Lord for those that are men and women of God who are willing to um, bless the Lord and then secondarily bless us with the, uh, with the playing of instruments, with the uh, singing of praise to the Lord. Thank God for uh, each one that has part in that. When you go to visit Israel, you're going to come into the town of Jaffa, Jaffa. And that is the city that the Bible calls Joppa. When you get there, you'll have some time to look around and look over the city. You're going to come to a bay that spreads around and kind of goes in the shape of a sea around there. Uh, and you're going to be in the middle of it there. And you're going to look along the sea side and you're going to see uh, homes, simple homes of the people that live there in some very, um, very elaborate places now on that seaside uh, area. It's a beautiful Temperate climates, the Mediterranean that you're looking out over, the deep blue Mediterranean, and you're going to enjoy uh, standing in that place as you visualize in your mind the prophet Jonah. 
He's down there, but he's down there for all the wrong reasons, isn't he? He's down there looking for a ship to take him as far away from the will of God as he can get. And as you stand there on the shores there of the Mediterranean Sea and the city of Joppa, as you look over the balustrade there, you'll notice down under the water a little ways the remnants of the docks that were once the ports for the ships that were there. You'll see them there and you'll wonder, is that... The, the base of one of the docks upon which Jonah so long ago stood. And perhaps you would be right in that uh, as Jonah found his ship to escape God's will. I hope that today you're not looking for a ship to take you away from God's will, but today you're looking for an opportunity to sail right into the center of God's will and purpose for your life. Uh, another, uh, another thing that uh, comes to mind as we read the text, of course, is a, a much later time... Uh, when on that ancient shore stood another man of God by the name of Peter. And uh, it was here at, Peter, uh, here at uh, Joppa that Peter spent a good deal of time. He, he uh, was called of God here and he came to this place uh, at the invitation of some who had lost a dear loved one, uh, Tabitha, who uh, was a, a great uh, blessing to them and to everyone that she knew. And so... Um, uh, Peter was called upon, uh, having uh, people having heard of the fact that God was using him and there were miracles taking place around Peter. So here he was at that place and certainly uh, as, um, as was hoped, Tabitha resurrected from the dead. And there were in that city of Joppa then many that believed on the Lord. I cannot for the life of me understand how anyone would reject the Lord when seeing one raised from the dead. <laughs> Uh, and it is so that the hardness of men's hearts is illustrated by the fact that even in spite of that, though one rose from the dead, thou wilt not believe, was the uh, answer that was given to the rich man. They will not believe. That was the answer given to the rich man in hell. Send someone to go and warn my five brothers. And he said, if someone rise from the dead, they will hear him. And the answer that Abraham gave was no. Even if someone rose from the dead they are not going to believe. Uh, they're not going to believe. And that was proved to be true uh, time after time. In the course of the life and ministry of our Savior, there were those that indeed were risen from the dead. And yet there were a large element of the population that knew it was so, that recognized the truth of it, yet rejected the, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave life to that dead corpse rotting in the grave and gave life to the likes of Lazarus and gave life to someone such as Tabitha. And so this city of Joppa was um, abuzz with what God was doing in this place. And there was among the believers one called Simon, also the name that Peter had before the Lord gave him his new one, Simon Peter. But there's Simon the Tanner. When you go to visit Joppa, you're going to have those that will point out what they think might have been the remnants of the house of Simon the Tanner by the seaside there. And Peter was, um, was there and um, he was a guest in that place, had been there at Simon the Tanner's house for a while. And he was here, he was seeking God, he was looking for the Lord's direction in his life and he uh, 
was praying on the rooftop and there was given to him a call of God. Here's a Gentile by the name of Cornelius who he lives up the way. When you're standing on the coastline there and you're watching it to come away from you both directions that way, if you look that way up toward the north, you uh, aren't able to see it, but not too far up the sea coast is a city called Caesarea. And it was a beautiful city in the time. It was uh, dominated, of course, by the Romans and developed by the Romans because of its ideal uh, and uh, very pleasant location. And so uh, up the road there from that place called Caesarea was a Roman, Cornelius, who uh, was seeking the truth and wanted to know and were, was praying that uh, the gods, or if there be a God, or uh, what it was, he did not know, or where God was, who God was, he didn't know, but he knew that there was something beyond this life. He knew there was something beyond the accomplishments of the Roman Empire. He knew there was something more to living life than reaching into the ranks of the uh, military service that he had, he knew there's got to be something more than ordering people around and bossing people around and having power and authority that I can uh, add a word, that I can add a word practice. He knew something more than that. And so he earnestly was praying and earnestly was praying. And his prayers, the Bible says, were gone up for a memorial before the Lord. God uh, identified the seriousness of this individual and recognized, though he did not directly as a result of Cornelius' prayers at that point answer those prayers directly. He did begin to set in motion a series of events that would bring about the answer to Cornelius' question. And so um, uh, Peter was the one that he was to use for this. Peter praying on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner was a very pleasant, it is a very pleasant place, and you would like to be outside as much as you could. If you live down there on the Mediterranean coast, it's like the coast here in many ways. It's similar. I don't think it has quite as much fog there as you would have here in the California coast. But it is similar in many respects uh, to what we enjoy here. And when we are by the coast, we like being outside. We don't, you don't go to the coast or rent an in, inside room in a hotel and stay in all day and watch, you know, uh, reruns from, uh, you know... Uh, uh, the hoarders or something like that. You, you can do that at home. <laughs> but uh, you want to go to the coast and you want to spend as much time as possible outside. That's the case there. And Simon was on the rooftop, a pleasant place to be uh, there. And apparently even at the high noon hour, it wasn't uh, out of the question that you'd be outside. So he's out probably under the shade of uh, something on the rooftop that was placed there for shade, enjoyed the pleasant sea breeze and, and uh, determined that uh, it'd be a great place for his devotions and his time with the Lord and his prayer. And he's praying one day and he falls into this trance and he sees a vision of these uh, the sheet dropped down from four corners, dropped down from heaven, an old man or beast in there, unclean and unclean beast. And, and he hears the voice of the Lord, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And not so, Lord, for I've, I've, never, I've never done that. I've never eaten an unclean thing. And you remember the answer that God gave. Uh, he said to Peter, he said, Peter, what God has cleansed, let no man call unclean. And it all started to fit together for, uh, for Peter. He's, he's thinking, God's telling me that something that I assumed in my life needs to change. And that something that he assumed in his life was this deep prejudice that he had uh, against the Gentiles, which all Jews were born and bred with, this prejudice against all Gentiles. 
And the term that they used regularly and consistently was that they referred to anyone that was not a Jew as a Gentile dog. And they saw them as pagans, as heathen, as uh, a lower level of uh, class of life than the Jews. Even though the Jews were the ones under bondage, the Jews were the ones under servitude to the Romans, yet they viewed these Romans and these other pagan uh, cultures as dogs in the sense that they said, we've got it spiritually, we understand it, and they don't get it. So um, that was a prejudice Peter had uh, built into him. And uh, in chapter 11, what Peter's doing is he's simply rehearsing all that's already happened in chapter 10. If you want a more detailed um, outline of his message, you can find it in chapter 10 because it gives a lot more detail there than 11. But uh, in chapter 11, he's rehearsing this before the congregation there at Jerusalem, and he's telling them how God's opened the door of the Gentiles to the gospel. And this is, you know, this is striking to the congregation there at Jerusalem. This is... This is still difficult for them to swallow. And yet I give them credit because they do, they do recognize that God must be doing a work here, that it's beyond you know, the, the uh, efforts of men that God's involved in it here to get the message out to the world. So, but the first thing God's got to do is to change the main preacher man that he's going to use there along with the Apostle Paul. He's, he's, got, a, he's got a plan in the works for Paul. That's been going now for a while. But he says, I've got to do some work on Peter now. And he does that. He does that as Peter is, uh, has this attitude, Lord, I'm not going to touch that, that unclean thing. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, this prejudice that Peter uh, had had to be altered. And so that's something that God goes to work on with this uh, vision that uh, Peter is given. And uh, as, he's, as soon as he's you know, finished, the sheet's taken up the second time, there comes a knock at the door. And he goes to the door and here's, a, here's an entourage, a party of people that's come down the way from Caesarea. And, uh, you know, Peter's there and he goes, come on in, guys, I was expecting you. <laughs> you know, uh, I was expecting you because uh, uh, he knew that God was at work opening a, a door that he didn't know would be open. So the scripture tells us in, in the uh, passage that we just read that the Spirit of God uh, went to work. The Spirit of God impelled him. The Spirit of God was that which uh, was um, at work in verse 12. It says, The Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. The Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. So the first step to Peter overcoming his prejudice is that uh, the Spirit of God is leading me into this. And the Spirit of God is telling me, don't have any doubts about it. He must have had some doubts. He must have thought, what are they going to think back in Jerusalem when they hear, I went to eat at the house of the Gentiles. What are they going to think when I had fellowship with the Gentiles? What are, what are they going to think when, when I, a, a born and bred Jew, am going over here and entering into this house that's not blessed, it's got pagans in it, it's got Gentiles in it. What in the world are they going to think back home? And that uh, is not to hinder him. The Spirit of God overcomes that, deals with those doubts, and so on he goes. Now the angel, the angel that came to Cornelius, you know, um, I'm sure he wanted to give the message of the gospel, but he couldn't. Because God had ordained not angels in heaven to give the gospel, but angels on earth, that is messengers on earth. God uh, would, did not allow the angel to give the message. The angel just, could just uh, stand there and say, man, I'd love to tell you, 
I love to tell you what your what the answer to your prayer is. I'd love to be able to reveal to you the truth. I'd love to tell you the old, old story, but I can't. I can't. I haven't been commissioned to do that. I can't give you that message. It's got to come from a man. It's got to come from a man. And so the angel told them that. The angel uh, stood before them and, and gave gave uh, Cornelius and those with him that truth. It's got to come from a man. And the Lord Jesus Christ took upon himself humanity because it had to come from a man. Uh, you know, the Bible says by death, uh, uh, by Adam, death passed unto all men. And by the second Adam, the, the truth of the gospel came. The truth of life came. Death came by the first Adam. Life came by the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus took up upon himself humanity to communicate to man because it was not something he would leave to the angels. What angel has ever experienced the joy of sins forgiven and the hope of eternal life in Christ? None have. And so the, the, as the curse came on man, the answer of life would also be carried by man. And what a privilege you have. You've got a privilege that angels would love to have but can't have. You get to do something angels would love to do but they can't do. And you and I get to do it. What a privilege that we have. The answer is going to be carried by man. The message must come from one who has himself already been delivered. There is no way that an angel could quite fully communicate to someone else with that need unless uh, he had experienced it. So it was with Peter. He had experienced it. The, uh, the apostle Peter had been delivered and the apostles had all been delivered and the messengers of God, the preachers had all been delivered by the same experience that uh, we're talking about, the experience of, uh, of receiving the truth of the gospel and responding to it. So the angel speaks to Cornelius um, and uh, Cornelius must send for Peter who's experienced the gospel in his life personally. And so Peter comes better qualified than the angel to declare the truth because he's experienced it. And that you and I have that same accountability to do that today. Then thirdly, it wasn't Peter's presence. It wasn't Peter's presence that he brought. You know, you're, you're, you and I are in one another's presence and we appreciate that. And that's a blessing to be in fellowship one, one with other and gathered in God's house together. But, but it's not the presence that uh, Peter, that was important as, it, as important. It was the word that he spoke when he was present. See verse 14, uh, the angels uh, said, there's a, there's a man coming, Peter's coming. He's going to tell you words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. He's going to tell you the words. He's going to give you words. It's not Peter's presence. It's his words that he's carrying. And so it's not your skill and your ability and your you know, charisma and your uh, handsomeness and your beauty that uh, is important when the word um, is communicated. It's the word itself. So he's going to give you the word when he comes. And so it is that he is to take the word. And it's the word that's to be spoken. And it's the word that's to be preached. And it's the word that will make the difference in Cornelius' life. Having a good life is important before others. And you, and you and I would all agree that we would like to be able to live a life that reflects our convictions. So we would like to be able to think that when people look at any 
in the curtains of our life at any moment in time that we're living like we should be living. And so we might begin to think, well, I'm just going to live a good Christian life. And by that good Christian life, I'm going to let that draw others because I'm a little backward about talking to people. I'm a little backward about the, this thing about words and giving words. And so I'm going to just live a good Christian life and hope that I do make a difference in someone's life. Well, you know, that wasn't what uh, they, that wasn't what uh, Peter was commissioned to do. He didn't, he wasn't told to go before them and just point out the lives of good Christians and say, see, these are good Christians and so you should want to be a good Christian too. No, he had to give them the word. And you and I have to give them the word. Lifestyle evangelism isn't. <laughs> evangelism is uh, to uh, take the word of God and that's been given to you and to carry it to someone else that needs it. And so it's the word of the living God. The Lord calls some to go and he calls uh, others to send those with the message. That's what he does. We see how in the text that the word was preached and people believed the word preached and then repentance was evident. We read that two or three times there that uh, they were granted repentance unto life. And so, so there's the word present. The word preached is there. And, and then uh, people are believing and responding to the word that is preached. And then you see the mention of repentance. The word preached brings a response. People want to have God turn them. They want to change. They want to be different than they were before. And so repentance is evident there. It's obvious there. Uh, it needs to be obvious just as much so today. It needs to be a part of what we're looking for when a person really gets saved is we're looking for the change that begins to take place there. And these people saw that. They changed their mind. They wanted something different than they wanted before. And then the Word of God began to change Everything else about them. Repentance was evident there. And then the Holy Spirit was there. Life eternal was given. The Holy Spirit was given. The, uh, the life eternal was given. And all of that is evident there in the text as we look at what the Word of God did in the lives of those Gentiles. They're gathered around Cornelius in his, in his house there. I notice too that this gift was sent to all. Verse 17 again. Verse 17 for... As much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? So the evident, it's evident there that the gift is given by the Lord to all, to all. It's still, though, a personal touch that must occur. We have large numbers of recruits come through our ministry there in Pendleton. We have 12 of our guys or so that go to Pendleton regularly, preach the gospel there. And we all have this testimony when we've been there and preached and seen the response. We all have this testimony. We're all marveling at the fact that so many of these young people have grown up all their lives in America, the place where the gospel can be heard. If, if you turn on a radio station and find a Christian station and listen long enough, you can hear the gospel, you can... You know, there's churches available, there's places to go to hear the gospel, and we, we all marvel at one thing that's pretty consistent among these young recruits, 17, 18, 19, 20, I guess not 17, 18, 19, 20, uh, year old uh, young men. In our case, it's all young men we preach to uh, when we're there. But one thing that we all notice pretty consistently about those that profess Christ, that come for salvation, large numbers of them, and they pretty consistently say, I haven't heard this before. I haven't heard this before. 
I suppose in their lives there's been people that have tried to say, well, I'm, I was hoping by the way I live that they'd just get it, that, you know, you need to be a Christian, you need to ask me about this. But they all, so often they all say, the respondents say, I just haven't heard this before. And they're 18, 19, 20 years old living in America, and they haven't heard this before. The atheist Brother Cole was talking to just said, I ha he's 90 years old. And he says, I just never heard this before. <laughs> 90 years old in America. And just because he was born into an atheistic family and lived an atheistic life, and that's all that he was ever taught and exposed to, he's 90 years old and facing eternity. And, uh, and, and Brother Cole is probably one of the first persons that even presented the gospel to him. So uh, that, uh, that tells us something, my friend. And so it's important for us to recognize that, that great truth that, uh, that we, we see here. The gift is sent by all, but, uh, but they're, they're, it needs to be taken. It needs to be taken. Large numbers of recruits are being saved because someone is taking the gospel to them and, and just preaching it there, you know, rather than just going over and opening and having a little Bible study or something and talking about how to be a better husband or, you know, a better Marine or something like that. It's all fine things. They're all good things. But these young people need the truth of the gospel before they go out and get shot, you know. Uh, they need the truth of the gospel, and they're recognizing that. They're realizing that. The, uh, the personal touch that has to uh, occur, and you and I are, are that. You and I are that touch in these uh, present times. Peter referred to the fact that he knew Cornelius and these Gentiles had heard the gospel before. He referred to that fact. He said, I know you've heard all this stuff before. But Peter saw that it took the personal confrontation of the gospel for them to really get it, you know. That's the trouble with just letting it happen and hoping, well, you live in America. You guys, surely you've heard it someplace. You must have turned on a Billy Graham program sometime or somewhere. Somebody must have gave you a gospel track or something must have happened. Well, that was true there. These people, Cornelius had heard this stuff before. Uh, look at look at his uh, the actual event back in Acts chapter ten verse thirty six for a second. Look at verse thirty six and thirty seven. This is this is a uh, you know where Peter's actually explaining to them and he's talking to them. This is part of his sermon that he gives to them there. But he says the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word I say ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached. So he says, Cornelius, you've been down here. You're in Caesarea. You're not that far away. And you no doubt have heard this stuff. You've heard about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've heard about the gospel. You've heard what happened in Jerusalem. You've heard all this stuff. You've heard the gospel, Peter, uh, uh, of Cornelius. You've heard this stuff. And Cornelius had to say, well, yeah, I've heard about it. I've heard all about it. But no one had ever confronted him with his own personal responsibility to respond to it, see. And uh, that was what happened there when, uh, when, a, when a personal touch took place. That's what's got to happen with each of us. Uh, uh, we must not withstand God. We all got to be involved in the mission. You know, Peter said, well, I had these prejudices, but God told me to go down there and preach to them. And who was I to withstand God? So... You and I need to say that same thing. Who, who are you and me to withstand God? If God's telling us either to go, I, I need to get going if God's telling me I should go. And I prepare myself and go. But if God's not calling me to go and he's not calling you to go, more of us are called to sin than are called to go. But all of us ought to be going where we can, where we, in, our, in our own realm, in our own mission field. All of us are called to go there. But some of us are called to go to the far regions of the world, far reaches of the world. And maybe there's some like that here today. And 
the day is, there's no better time than you to, for you to settle that than to just say, I'm going to get up and go. I'm going to go. Don't leave the church yet, but, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll get you ready to go. <laughs> we'll get you ready to go, okay? Uh, all right? Some of you may be called to go, but all of us are called to send. All of us are called to send. If we're, if we're not personally going to go, be that one that goes to Cornelius' house over there in Caesarea, then we need to be those that are sending the ones that are called to go. And so that's what uh, this missions commitment really is all about today. We're, we're the ones that are sending it. Like this church at Antioch, it was, it was the first church that was really called Christians. This group of people, and it, you read about them, they assembled together. They were, you know, they were doing church. They were doing church. And the Bible says they assembled together and taught. The, the, uh, the preachers taught them and they, they learned. Uh, they had preaching. They had Sunday school. They had uh, training. And they assembled together regularly, consistently, faithfully, worshiping the Lord. And they doing just like we're doing today. They were doing that very same thing. And uh, they, were, uh, they were, all those things were present. The grace of God was evident among them. You see it there. The grace of God was present. They were, regularly people were being saved. Lots of people were trusting Christ, the Savior, being baptized. They were faithfully assembling. They were teaching and they were being taught. All those things were going on. It was a church in every sense of the biblical sense of the word. Uh, and so they were first called Christians at Antioch. The, they were called followers of Christ, people that seemed like they were all out for Christ, they were called that at Antioch. And it was Antioch, by the way, became the great missionary sending church of that generation. Antioch, out of uh, which came John Mark, out of which came Barnabas, out of which came Paul. They'll go with the gospel to the world. Out of Antioch, that was the place. And so we're to be, we're to be more like the Antioch church than the Jerusalem church, see. We're to be more like the Antioch church than the Jerusalem church. We're to be a uh, a mixture of people of all backgrounds and all experiences gathered together in one place, assembled together, the grace of God with us and committed to giving the gospel to the world by some of us going and all of us sending. And so I want to encourage you to uh, examine what your part would be, examine what your responsibility would be and respond to that by committing yourself in the form of that little commitment card. Our invitation part of that is going to be just... Just be right where you are now and commit yourself to saying, I'm going to start giving or I'm going to give more uh, uh, or whatever it would be. I'm going, to, I'm going to be involved in that. Take that card and make that your commitment. Make that your commitment today. And so I want to encourage you to, to do that uh, even just now. Let's just, uh, let's just bow our heads for a minute. I want to close with one last illustration. And while our heads are bowed, you might find your card there and you've been praying about it. You've been thinking about it. Some maybe have already filled it out. Maybe the Lord's led you to change that a little bit. But I want to do that uh, in our invitation time. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask the pianist to, to play uh, an invitation hymn and, um, and give you an opportunity to, to just fill that out. What I'm going to ask you to do is hold on to that card and just uh, on our way out, we'll have a couple of ushers at the doors and you just drop it in the a tray when you go out, go out with it. If you feel like you don't want to put anything down, that's fine. You can just drop the card and tray regardless and, uh, and go on your way. Um, and we'll have the opportunity again tonight um, to, um, if there are those that are here tonight that weren't here this morning, to add to that. But if the Lord uh, leads you to be a part of that, then, uh, then be a part. He's certainly led me over the years to be a part. And he's led many, many, many of our people to do that. And, and as you can tell from my preaching, I believe all of us have that responsibility uh, no matter where we're at, financially, all of us have that responsibility to do something, to do something. And 
You're not asked to do what you cannot do, but you are, by the grace of God, given the encouragement to do what you can do. And so let me encourage you to do that. A preacher was in Atlanta several years ago where we were uh, last week. And he, he noticed the, a re, in the restaurant section, they gave a, they gave a, a paper out with the various restaurants that they recommend. He noticed in the, in the um, restaurant recommendations an entry for a restaurant that was called the Church of God Grill. Church of God Grill, that's a peculiar name. And so he got curious about it. So he, uh, he went down and talked to them and he uh, met somebody and got a, a cheerful hello. Um, and the um, preacher asked how the restaurant had been given such an unusual name. And the man said this. He said, well, we were a little mission down here and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. People liked the chicken and we did such good business that eventually we cut back on a church service. And after a while, we just closed down the church altogether and kept on serving chicken dinners. We kept the name we started with and that's the Church of God Grill. So here's a church that completely forgot uh, her purpose and became a place to feed the body and lost her opportunity to feed the soul. And so we don't want to become like the Church of God Grill. We don't want to be Calvary Baptist Bar and Grill someday, you know. We, <laughs> we want to be that mission sending station that still sends out missionaries and still supports missionaries and still has missionaries coming out of the congregation to go. And so I want to encourage you to remember our purpose. All of us have that purpose. So uh, maybe today at the invitation, the, the call is out to you and you're going to respond and say, I, I, need, to, I need to surrender myself, be willing if the Lord would, would lead me there to go. I need to be willing to be prepared and uh, to begin to take steps uh, to prepare myself to go. Uh, maybe that is you need. Perhaps it's not to go to the foreign field, but you're just, you're just convicted to say, Lord, help me to be a faithful uh, testimony, not just with my life, but with my words, that I'll be a faithful witness in uh, my life in the days ahead, that God would open opportunities for me to witness as was happening here with this 90-year-old man you're saying, Lord, bring those across my way or help me to be uh, bold and faithful to witness and not be ashamed of my Savior. Maybe that's the, the need that you need to uh, respond at the altar for. Perhaps you need a church home and you believe that God wants you to serve here and you want to present yourself for membership. That might be the need. Maybe you're saved but you haven't been biblically baptized uh, yet and you want to be obedient to the Lord in that capacity. Whatever your need is today, I want to encourage you to come. And um, part of the invitation, as I said, is to, to get your card and fill that out. And then on your way out to put that in the offering tray and when it, when it uh, is there at the back in the foyer. But uh, the, uh, the part of the invitation that you need to respond to here is uh, at the altar. So let's stand together and we're going to sing 560. Is thy heart right with God? 560. And as we sing a verse 2 of the invitation... The Lord leads you to respond at the altar. You come on ahead. If, you, uh, if He leads you to uh, re react and respond a different way, you do what the Spirit of God guides you to do. 560, Father, we ask your blessing now on this invitation time. Help us to respond according to your will and your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.